Welcome to the Autobahn Country Club Podcast, where your host, club member John Graybeal, opens the doors to America's premier auto sports club. Now, here's John. Well, welcome to the show, everybody. Uh, if you have not subscribed yet, please hit the subscribe button. Real quick, we're going to go over uh, a few of the events that are taking place tomorrow, June 3rd, a tour of Italy, uh, evening of dining. That's quite appropriate for the podcast today. We'll go over that in just a second. Saturday here, June 5th, coming up, we have the Radical Racers Breakfast. And then Sunday, a couple events, got a kart race and also an outing to the Joliet Motorsports Park, which is a motocross track. It's actually not too far from the track at all. Bring your dirt bikes over there, ATV side-by-sides, uh, and enjoy that. Uh, that's a special thing just for the Audubon members. That's pretty cool. Uh, please check out the AudubonMembers.com site, and you can check out all the social calendars and everything that are taking place there. So joining us today for the podcast is... Joel Weinberger. Joel is a founding member of the Audubon Country Club. It's quite a unique story. His, uh, him and his father, they're iconic members of the car community in the Chicagoland area. His, uh, dad has an f- amazing story uh, about uh, you know fixing uh, uh, import cars and then becoming a, a, a dealer for several different cars. I mean, I didn't really know his whole story, and it was just really awesome to hear the story of uh, John Weinberger, Joel's dad, and about how he got started. And we talk about uh, Joel's racing, and then we finish up with the Drive for 105 charity event that takes place at the Audubon June 12th. It's an enduro karting event, and it's also to support homeless in DuPage County. And we learn a little bit about that charity, where the money goes, and how it all works. Uh, the Audubon's a big supporter of that. Uh, my son and his buddies are all on the team dark mode. So if you, you want to click over to DePage Pads, uh, Google that, and then uh, team dark mode, drive for 135. Uh, any uh, support for that team, that would be fantastic. The team, uh, the more money the team gets, the closer they start in the starting line. So uh, if they get the most, then they start in the pole position. So uh, his team's always looking for uh, as much as they can in the donation area. And now, let's welcome Joel Weinberger on the Audubon Country Club Podcast. Thank you for calling Continental Ferrari. If you know your party's extension number, you may enter it at any time. Press one for Joel Weinberger. Good morning, John. Good morning, how are you? I'm doing well yourself. I'm doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Thanks for uh, taking time to join the, join us on the podcast. For sure. I I assume I'm calling you at the dealership there in Hinsdale. Is that right? Yeah, I'm sitting uh, behind my desk, which uh, you know actually used to be my father's desk for many many years. So it's uh, a lot of memories on the wall here. And uh, but now this is my only place, uh, you know, where I hang my hat. Business wise, I sold. Uh, uh, my Acura Audi and Mazda franchises in Naperville uh, late last year. And so now I'm uh, just solely concentrating on the Ferrari franchise in that business. Well, that's, I got as a car lover, that's not a bad thing at all right there. <laughs> no, no, it's a good way to kind of, it's a good way to go out softly, I guess. Oh, that, that's fantastic. Uh, so you grew up uh, in the in the area there? Did you grow up in Hinsdale or... Uh, well, I grew up in a neighboring town, uh, unincorporated Lagrange, 
And uh, so I've been in the area all my life, uh, you know, other than my schooling, of course. And, uh, you know, right out of uh, college, then, uh, you know, I was slated to go to New York City and, and get into the uh, advertising and marketing world and go to Columbia for my MBA. And then I had uh, a little change of heart midsummer uh, before the MBA program. And I decided to stay home and uh, start in the family business. And then I never looked back. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, take me back just a little bit. So your um, your dad, he's, he, he kind of started the it was it him and his brother, right? That started a yeah, uh, correct. Yeah, John. My father was John, and his brother Herm started. Uh, well, they started as an import repair shop, you know, in the uh, in the suburbs, uh, you know, Lyons and, and Riverside, um, Brookfield, uh, as import repair. And, and my uncle was a body man, and uh, and then eventually were attracted by Triumph. You know, my dad was racing, and uh, you know, Salt Creek. Um, sports car club and uh, Midwest Council or whatever the, you know the early days of that were mm-hmm. racing a uh, you know a bathtub Porsche and he got um, pretty well known for not only his racing skills but also his mechanical abilities and uh, ultimately was approached by Triumph uh, you know they had a number of dealers in the area you know that were typically you know they were big you know Chevy or Buick or Pontiac dealers would had Triumph in a closet, you know, in the side, and they didn't really give much attention to the brand. And uh, so my dad could fix Triumphs, and they said, hey, how would you like to be a dealer? And uh, so the story goes, he had to buy, you know, three or four cars and and $1,000 worth of parts and a sign, and he became a Triumph dealer. And that was the uh, kind of the genesis of being a a new car dealer group. What year was that? That was uh, 1962. 1962 and, was uh, was your grandfather was he a car guy too did he was he a mechanic no he was the, he definitely was a car guy but he was not in the car business he um you know he was a janitor uh, honestly and uh um worked a lot of different jobs electromotive uh, in the area and uh, but he did love cars were german by heritage and uh um always that was the one thing is that uh, he always liked to have a good car and uh, even if he didn't have a lot of money. And uh, so cars have always been kind of our DNA. My dad was born in the back of a 32 Chevy, I believe. <laughs> and uh, um, so it's just, uh, you know, kind of gasoline in his blood, I think. And certainly it, it rubbed off on me, you know, in the early days. You know, when I, he was racing competitively with uh, SCCA, uh, up until about 1968, he raced uh you know he had raced bathtub porsches and triumph tr4s and ultimately i think in 67 he had a 911s and then in 68 he graduated to a porsche 906 which was a uh uh, he he got a carbureted used version from i believe peter revson uh when peter upgraded to the injected version and he ran that car all the way to the USRRC championship out at Riverside, California in 68. And there was another orange 906 at that race that crashed heavily. And uh, my mom thought it was him. And after that race really encouraged him to hang up his helmet 
as I was about three years old at the time. Hmm. And uh, so uh, my dad went into more race administration, ultimately becoming the uh, executive uh, director for SCCA in the, in the central region here. Oh, no kidding. And uh, so as a result of that, he was, you know, kind of administering all these great races that we love um, at tracks, you know, all of our favorite tracks, Road America, Blackhawk and such. So I feel like I grew up at Road America because uh, we were there for really every June sprint, Trans Am, Can Am. Um, I've got all the patches and everything from the early days. <laughs> and uh, those are great, great memories for me. Did you see him? Um, it's, uh, you said you were three when he kind of stopped racing. Did you ever see him race, or do you remember seeing him no, race? No, I never saw him. I never saw him race. I, I certainly didn't remember that far back. Um, and it wasn't until I got out of college. You know, I did Skip Barber when I was nineteen, and uh, I kind of always had the bug, of course. And then when I actually decided to stay home and start working in the family business, I kind of, you know, we started to share that that car interest together and. I don't remember who kind of brewed up the idea, but, you know, together presented to my mom and said, hey, we'd like to go vintage racing. Um, you know, he, I actually think, uh, I remember he and I went out to the Monterey Historics in August of 88 uh, together. And uh, I remember Maserati was the featured mark. And it was the first time I ever saw that, that you know, early Lotus Elan from the 60s. <laughs> and I was so enamored with that car. And then we kind of hatched a plan to go vintage racing because that was coming alive and on the scene with uh, Joe Marchetti's Chicago Historic Races and everything and uh, convinced my mom that we're going to go vintage racing. We're not really going that fast, you know. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, these are old cars. They're not going fast. <laughs> 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 and uh, so it wasn't long before he had uh, found a Lotus 11 sports racer and I found a Lotus Elan. Uh, and we went racing. Our first race was May of uh, 1989 uh, down at Gateway. And uh, and then it wasn't long before we were already graduating to, you know, faster and better cars. Um, he ultimately got that Lotus 23 that he's famous for in that same year. And uh, uh, that car is kind of iconic, probably one of the most winningest 23s in the world um, with it's original history plus all the wins my dad had over the decades and uh, we still have that car it's going to end up in my you know personal museum here shortly when i get that done oh very nice that's so cool so how did he go from from triumphs what was the next dealership did it just continue to grow up what was what uh it, it grew and uh yeah triumph uh led to the other you know british leyland brands mg jaguar uh and he actually was a Porsche dealer in the early days. Um, I'm going to guess from about 66 to 70. Um, but there came kind of a, a point in time when, uh, and then he also moved the business. So he's one of the early pioneers to move from kind of the, you know, those communities along the Burlington Northern tracks. And he moved out to a community called Countryside, which is now, you know, car central out there, mm -hmm. car dealer central. But, he was one of the early pioneers to do that. And uh, at that time, he had also taken on Toyota as a favor, um, believe it or not. And so uh, Toyota's still in our family group, uh, operated by my cousin, uh, Herm's daughter. And so we're the second oldest Toyota dealership in the, in the city here. 
oh, wow. going back to six. And uh, so there came a time when we had one building and all these, you know, kind of random brands. I mean, Di Tommaso Mangusta and, you know, it, I mean, we had, in the old days, we had all kinds of weird stuff, you know, you, you name it, uh, Peugeot, Panther, Bricklin, uh, God, I, you know, the list goes on and on, <laughs> Aston Martin, um, you know, the early days of Fiat, Lancia. Um, we represented all those brands at one point. My dad was the, uh, we took on Jensen and Jensen Healy. My dad became the Midwest distributor. So the tables got turned and he was out on the street throughout the Midwest, um, training sign up dealers and administering warranty claims and, you know, delivering parts to the dealers. Um, so he was a retailer for Jensen, Jensen Healy, but he was also the distributor. Um, but, uh, uh, but getting back to the, that path is, you know, they had to build a building for, they had to make a choice. Uh, that was when Porsche and Audi were together and uh, Porsche wanted a new showroom uh, exclusively for Porsche and Audi in 1970. Uh, but we also needed room for Toyota, so he had to make a choice. And actually, the choice for him was he sold the 906 to help fund it, and he decided to stick with Toyota. Um, and, you know... It, it, it hurts a little bit because of our German heritage, and I certainly love the Porsche brand, but certainly Toyota helped fuel the growth for many, many decades for us. So I you can't say it was a bad decision. So as a kid, you're hanging he out. Had great, he always had great seat-of-the-pants, you know, in, in, intuition about business. So so as a kid, you're hanging out with all these these iconic cars. I remember a Pantera in my town, a, a dealer owned, and I used to go in there and clean cars for him, and I would just you know, stare at that car thinking that was like the greatest car ever. I mean, as a kid growing up, uh, I mean, being in that environment with all those cool cars, which ones, what car kind of stands out to you that was kind of unique or something that you always wanted to sit in and, and smell and feel? Um, you know, in the old, in the old days when we were living, you know, down in, you know, LaGrange Bridge, he we had a big barn. And at that point in time, he liked some of the older cars. I remember we had a couple, uh, you know, 56 Thunderbirds, and he had a 32 Rolls-Royce, and he had a 54 Bentley. Uh, he actually drove me to the eighth grade dinner dance in the in the Bentley. <laughs> and, uh, um, but it really was, uh, you know, so we became a Ferrari dealer in 1975, and, and now one of the, we are the second oldest Ferrari dealership in the country as well. Um, and I think that's when the, the really cool cars start, you know, pulling in the driveway. And so at that point I'm 10 years old and that's, those are the cars that I remember, um, is, you know, him starting to, to come home with those, you know, those early 308 GT4s and then eventually the 308, you know, Magnum PI style car. And, uh, you know, those were iconic and, uh, I loved them. <laughs> Wow, yeah, I, I I can't imagine. I mean, seeing the, seeing all those cars in your driveway. I mean, uh, that's cool. I, I do have this, you know, this uh, admiration and uh, and drive to at some point, you know, figure out what Ferrari uh, I want to own. I think I will have one. I just uh, haven't decided. You know, what's the perfect one for me yet? And uh, but man, it goes back so far and, and so many. I was looking on your website earlier today, just. Uh, on a, the wide variety of cars that you have there at your dealership and um, some older Ferraris and uh, old Maserati. Um, my, my wife's a huge yeah, Maserati fan. Yeah, you know, we tend to, we do specialize, I think, in the older stuff. Um, you know, we have, 
you know, a great thing is, you know, when I stepped into this chair is that, uh, you know, dad cultivated a great team over the years and we've got a lot of people that have been here 25, 30, 35 years and are deeply entrenched in the brand, enthusiastic, have the knowledge. It's not an easy brand to just come up to speed. It's a long, long learning curve. So, um, you know, we, we know about those older cars really well and, uh, we pride ourselves on keeping them on the road. And, uh, and that was always my dad's love. You know, it was old, you, you would never see him really driving a new Ferrari, uh, in his later days, he loved drive. He loved Dinos, and uh, um, and he he drove his Dino a lot, and uh, as well as some. If it, I used to say, if it was small and Italian at the auction, it was dangerous because he was always buying it, whether it was a, <laughs> um, you know an Abarth or a you know anything. I mean, just Italias and and um, Fiats and and Alphas, and oh, he just. He couldn't stop himself. <laughs> <laughs> so back in the day, was he going to Europe a lot? Did, they, did he go over there a lot? To the he, he was. Um, he was uh, um, traveling quite a bit. I mean, that was uh, in those days. We also had you know roles in Bentley, um, so there was a lot of trips to you know uh, overseas. Um, you know, the first one I can really remember because it was the first one I attended was uh, just out of college. I went to the uh, Ferrari factory with my mom and dad. And it was for the F40 launch. Wow. And it was uh, October of 88. So it was two months after Enzo had passed away. And, uh, but I actually have pictures of me in the factory with just what would appear to be a sea of F40s behind me uh, and on the factory line. And I remember actually getting a uh, ride in the, at Fiorano in the test on the test track with Ferrari test drivers uh, in the F40, and uh, that car made an impression on me for sure. <laughs> wow, wow! Is there a, so? Would you say was what? What would be your favorite Ferrari? Uh, my favorite Ferrari. Um, I mean, the F40 does stand out to me because of that experience being at the factory when it was launched. If I ever really had the uh, ability uh, to justify, uh, you know, a really special car in my garage that would be near the top of the list for sure. Um, it just, that car to me just, uh, um, I don't know, it just kind of checks the boxes for me. It looks outrageous, but, um, and, and uh, it's very raw. Um, it's kind of a race car for the street for sure. <laughs> so, uh, it, yeah, racing so when you came back uh and you guys started racing i mean um obviously you're a tremendously accomplished race car driver did that did that ever stop did your dad just um how did you move on to i guess i could say more modern cars when you were racing well he you know he was always happy on the vintage side and uh, did that for decades and i i would say after a few years i started to get um, the itch to go do something a little bit more competitive. Uh, so I had been uh, kind of courted by some friends that were in, on the SCCA side, and they gave me a, a test in a spec racer Ford, and I went out and uh, did really well in the car and was competing immediately with the guys at the top of the field. And uh, so I kind of got that bug and and went SCCA racing for uh, a number of years with Spec Racer Ford and then 
uh, ultimately, I mean, I remember being at the June sprints in 05 with spec racer Ford and there was a, it was a 79 car field. It was crazy. Wow. Um, and, and fun and super fun. Um, the, uh, um, that was when I got my first check actually. <laughs> <laughs> so I felt like I was a paid race car driver. Oh, that's awesome. Ended up in the top, uh, ended up in the top 10 and I got some minuscule check for something. I don't know. Um, I think I still have it. I didn't cash it. Um, <laughs> the, uh, and then I graduated from there. Of course, everybody wants to go faster. I ended up, um, one of the early adopters of the really kick, butt sports racers, I, I purchased a, a store S T O H R, um, WF one, which was a <laughs> motorcycle powered sports racer, you know, full ground effects, lightweight, crazy fast. And, uh, I can, took that car to the runoffs in 06, uh, and also competed in 07. And then, you know, then I started to get out of that. I felt like it was just, I was chasing too many dollars to just to really keep the development up on the car. So then, you know, then I got nostalgic and went back to vintage for a while. Um, and then, and then Autobahn really started to come online. So then I did a lot, you know, really was, uh, heavy in the early days of the spec Miata racing down there and probably Oh eight Oh nine. Um, you know, 10, you know, probably those three years I was really racing heavily in the spec Miatas and enjoying it. Uh, it just, I mean, it, it's amazing what you know, the club has done to kind of cultivate all these racers and, and, uh, it's, it's, it's fun to watch, even though I'm not on track with them anymore. I mean, those guys are way better than we ever were. The cars are better, the tires are better, but um, it's fun to watch them compete. It's it's a great training ground. <laughs> yeah. So what what speaking of the Autobahn there, what what is the first uh, um, time that you heard about that? I mean, I, I heard the story that Mark Basso came down there and you guys hosted him. I think at the dealership really early on. Is that is that how that story goes? Is that do I remember that right? Yeah. I, you know, certainly my my dad was more involved like early early on. Um, in this concept and it was just a, you know, it was a napkin concept at that point and, and it's kind of a, you know, if you build it, they'll come, you know, have faith. And, uh, but we were, you know, enthusiastic and like, yeah, if they, man, if they can pull this off, this would be awesome. And, and, uh, you know, we're in and dad talked to me and, and, uh, so we, at that point I had, you know, some means and I was running a couple of dealerships of my own and, and I said, yeah, I'm in, let's, let's do this. And, uh, so, you know, we did that. I remember going down when it was just a cornfield and got some pictures of, uh, early founder, um, gathering in the cornfield there where the track now exists. And, uh, um, with, uh, you know, guys like Jerry and, and Craig Cunningham and, and, uh, you know, there was a interest, you know, Sam Gerges, there's a, you know, interesting to see the early days and the people that were involved and, uh, and just over time, just to see it sprout up was, was very exciting. Um, you know, and then we, we built a building on the North track, which is, you know, adequate, but small by comparison to what's going on these days, but it's, right, it's yeah. great for us. Um, and, uh, it, you know, and it's still now we're kind of at the next, you know, I've gone through ebbs and flows on, you know, I've been out there a lot and then I'm not there and I'm out there a lot, depending on, you know, I, 
I ultimately then went into for a challenge for four seasons. So that took a lot of my time. You know, I visited some awesome tracks in that series. And that was part of my, my goal was to knock off some bucket list tracks. I raced at Montreal during the F1 weekend a couple of times. Wow. wow. I was at, you know, Watkins Glen. I was at Daytona. I was at Indy, uh, and raced at Mugello. I raced at Monza. Uh, so there's, that series kind of opened up all those bucket list tracks to me that I probably wouldn't have done otherwise. Um, but that took me away from Autobahn. So now, um, now my son, Kellen, who works for me at the dealership now, he graduated last year. Um, he's spending quite a bit of time out there. Um, just, you know, he's doing some karting. He's doing some spec Miata racing. Uh, and recently we got him a vintage Datsun 510. So now he's joining me in the vintage side, which I've kind of come full <laughs> circle and back to vintage again. <laughs> so, uh, what would be your fa- What do you think is your favorite racetrack? My favorite racetrack, uh, certainly. Um, my favorite. Well, my favorite racetrack is Road America. Uh, it's just not only the track itself, but the town, just the memories and everything else. Um, I'm actually on the board of directors now at Road America. So it, that place definitely holds a special uh, place in my heart. Uh, but other tracks that I have really, really enjoyed, I would, uh, love VIR. Um, you know, I love Watkins Glen. Um, and uh, let me think. Mm, you know, those are probably kind of my top. And I really, really like Mugello. I wish they could take Mugello and bring it over to the States here because it's such a cool track. Where's that? I already know where that is. Uh, Mugello is outside of Florence. Oh, okay. <laughs> and that was where the 2017 uh, Furry Channels World Finals were held. And uh, it was uh, just, it's a fantastic flowing track um, that I really, really enjoyed. What, what what was your first car that you took on the Audubon when it when the, when the when that track got built? Do you remember what the first car you drove out there was? Um, I don't know the first car I actually got on track, but I'm going to say you know certainly the first race car that I had purposefully for that track uh, I had a, a '90 Spec Miata uh, that I purchased. I believe it's still out there, <laughs> and that's the crazy. I see I've had a few of them, and it's funny to see all these cars as they've changed hands um, and that they're still ticking. And, uh, um, you know, I was a Mazda dealer for, you know, 10, 11 years, and, and uh, I know how well they support the enthusiasts, you know, the club racers. And um, it's uh, what a great brand, what a great, you know, what a great car to just not have a lot of worries, you know, fill it with gas and, you know, make sure you got brakes and tires and you can just go out and just, really hone your skills and that was my first definitely my first car out at autobahn i remember sitting at, at sebring this year when 70 plus miatas are on the track and i turned to a, a driver who was driving from for mazda at the time i assume he still is but i said do you think that the designer the guy who said i'm gonna design a miata or mx5 do you think he thought that this i mean look what his creation did and where it went i mean i I can't imagine he was yeah. sitting at the drawing board going, you know, 30 years, 40 years from now, we're going to have this, or I guess 30 years from now, we're going to have this, you know, incredible uh, race racing car that uh, is everywhere and that everybody loves. And it's a great story. 
Yeah, it, it is a great story, and it's a it's an interesting question. I'm sure he would have never predicted that. And you know, as you probably know, that car also, you know, in the designing of that car, they they basically took the Lotus Elan and and kind of made a modern copy of it. And you know, both of those cars are, you know, all about lightweight and and uh, just great balance. And it's not about horsepower. And even today, I still, even though I'm not a, a Mazda dealer anymore, I still keep. Um, um, I, I have one, a 25th anniversary car that I keep and, and whenever I drive it, I just, it brings huge smiles because it doesn't need to be powerful. It just does everything else so well. It's so well balanced <laughs> and, uh, that, that car is a marvel. Yeah. I, we just got my son a, a newer one and I went back to the original, um, owner or the person who bought or had it built and you know i i got to meet him i wanted to meet him and say hey i just wanted to know that your car is still here it's a in a 16 year old's hands and uh um you know we're doing our best to take care of it and uh, I, I just think that's neat that you know like your car is still you know out there and um all the history of of everything and that's another great thing about buying a car there you know you can talk to the people who worked on it and people who owned it and yeah, you know the whole history of it i think that's pretty cool and it's great at Autobahn that, you know, for those that, you know, are just happy being there, that you can do everything right there. You've got, um, you know, you can keep your car there. There's people to take care of your car. And certainly you can use it, you know, as much as you want, really. Uh, as we both know, there's still a lot of underutilization during the week out at that track. And it's one of my favorite things is just go during the week when nobody else is there and just kind of get in the zone and uh you know i gave up my golf membership a, a few years ago because it just i figured out if i had five hours to blow i'd much rather go down to autobahn <laughs> than I would go out on the golf course uh, and uh so now for me it's like a 38 minute drive from the ferrari store here so it's uh you know it's pretty easy i, I remember guys i was never there I've been there about five years. I was never there when it was a gravel road out in front before you got to the to the track. But um, I have heard stories about how people would just you know drive their Ferraris so slow down the gravel road before they before they entered the track, and then they could just really open oh, it up. Okay. And they, God, I just can't imagine yeah. it. You know, seeing all these fancy and wonderful cars come down the gravel road. Yeah, it was brutal, and you know, even these days, it's a little tough to drive, even on the the roads just outside the gate there with all the the truck traffic and the gravel and stuff it's uh, a little bit annoying but uh um but it's great to have once you get inside the gate you know they've done a, a real nice job um and uh it's, it's fun to see the improvements over time and uh nice to see that, it, that the club really appears to be healthy and uh doing well and um you know as i was a dealer i you know had to interface with the manufacturers quite a bit. Uh, you know, Audi in particular uh, had a, quite a presence out there for many years and did a lot of consumer ride and drives and they had the cars in the performance fleet. And, uh, you know, I, I thought it was a great, uh, great partnership. Yeah. So uh, one, I mean, I haven't, I don't know a, a ton. I, I wish I knew more about uh, Ferraris than I do, but one thing, have you seen a lot of the developmental from them, them focusing on so much on racing and, and 
has the as the cars have gotten better and more refined. I'm, I'm talking about the uh, uh, street cars, you might say, or uh, as they've gotten more refined. Have have you really noticed the the difference when they, as the way I understand it, started concentrating more on their on their wait, I want to say consumer division as opposed to just the racing. Well, yeah, I mean Enzo Ferrari, you know, really only sold cars to finance his racing. So, um, you know, racing's the brand has always been about racing, and and definitely we've seen a lot of uh, technology transfer from the race cars into, you know, the current versions of our cars are just so advanced. Um, you know, with the new SF90, you know, that being nearly a hundred. I'm sorry, nearly a thousand horsepower you know, oh with the gosh. electric motors. Um, just incredible. You know, it's, it's performing, it's, it's significantly faster around the Fiorano test track than the, the $2 million LaFerrari was just a few years ago. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so it's, um, and this is a car that's available to everybody. Um, everybody that can afford it, of course. I mean, it's not, a, it's not a cheap car, but it's cheap for what you can do with it. And, um, so I, yeah, I mean, whether it's the, you know, the energy recovery systems or the traction systems that they put in these cars, um, and just overall the light weighting of things, it, you definitely see all that, that stuff transfer into the street cars and, and the cars are not only better, but more reliable than ever. I mean, the cars, the last six, seven, eight years, they've really been, uh, very, very reliable. There's no, um, you know, I mean, every European brand has, you know, little, little nagging things here and there that usually, um, you know, little Achilles heels here and there, but overall the cars have been really, really bulletproof and people can just turn the key and drive. And, uh, so it's really, it makes the ownership experience so much more pleasurable when you don't have to uh, be concerned about those things. All right, first first Ferrari, four thirty or three sixty. What would be your choice? What would be my choice? Uh, I have one of each. Um, <laughs> well, perfect. You're the perfect guy to answer it. Yeah, I. Uh, um, and to both extremes, because I have a very basic three sixty manual coupe, and I have a four thirty Scuderia, uh, which is to me one of the most fantastic cars. It's. Um, kind of the last of the analog Ferraris before they started kind of getting digital and, and um, it, it has a lot of driver engagement and super raw. Um, and then 360 is just a really nice car to live. I, I think first Ferrari is probably, I don't know. <laughs> I think it was whatever speaks to you. Um, I think the 360 styling is really, really aged well. And I think it looks better um, then a 430, the 430's a better car to drive. Um, so it really kind of depends on what, you know, what floats your boat. I, you know, I get those questions like that all the time. Um, and uh, it's like, well, chocolate and vanilla ice cream, they're both great, but you're going to like <laughs> one better than the other, you know? So, uh, what... oh. so, uh, uh, coming up, uh, June, 12th at the Audubon. I, I, I remember a few years ago going out there and I said, hey, what's going on at the cart track? Why are all these people out here? And I said, oh, it's a fundraiser. And I said, oh, that's cool. And um, then I heard how much money was raised in one day at 
for the charity. At yeah, it's, well, thanks for uh, incredible. Yeah, thanks for giving a bit of a platform to talk about this because it's uh, it is incredible. Something I'm really proud of. Um, you know, my involvement with DuPage Pads goes back many years. Um, you know, their mission to end homelessness in DuPage County. Uh, I served on the board for six years, and, and early in my term, a uh, long time ago, I, you know, actually 11 years ago now, because this is going to be our 11th year, um, we came up with, you know, we're trying to brainstorm creative idea, how we raise funds. You know, we don't want to just have another golf event. And uh, so we said, well, let's do what we are passionate about. Let's, let's figure out a way to do it racing-wise. And so the early days we did it at Chicago Indoor Racing when they were, you know, pre-electric days. And we had uh, actually it was a six-hour event in, in the very first one. And uh-huh. we had the goal of raising $25,000. It was called the Drive for 25. And we ended up raising about 50 that first year. Uh, so then, you know, we knew we were on to something. And uh, it was just so much fun. Every team had a different color shirt. And uh, so you could identify, you know, which team was which. And, and there's a lot of camaraderie and excitement. And and we, you know, we had, we were catering, you know, we continue to cater to all levels because we have three different classes in the race. This year we'll have 15 teams uh, and a group of what we would call pro teams with a lot of experience. We have sportsman teams with a little bit of experience and then we have rookie teams that you know probably have never been in a cart or not a lot and uh, so everybody's kind of racing against other teams uh, of their skill level um the important part is obviously fundraising uh and so we give each team a goal of raising at least five thousand dollars um and so you know our goal this year is one hundred thirty-five thousand dollars again uh, last year we set a record in the tenth year. Uh, I think we were in the 140s, and uh, and that actually helped us eclipse a uh, million dollars over the ten year span for this event. And uh, it's just so amazing. About, so the first five years we were at Chicago Indoor Racing, and then and then they you know sold the K1 and turned electric, and we couldn't run endurance races, and you know back then Autobahn. Still had the original track, which wasn't very exciting, but, you know, we said, well, let's try it, and and let's also, you know, I talked to, you know, Gritter, and we we agreed expanding it into the the skid pad area there and and came up with some creative solutions, and so Autobahn really worked with me to make it interesting, and, uh, you know, and then it kind of took another life, you know. Actually, I think everybody appreciated having it outdoor, and we've been blessed with great weather every year. Uh, and, you know, then you're not breathing the fumes inside for six hours either. Uh, we did uh, reduce it to a four-hour event uh, when we brought it to Autobahn and uh, just to keep the wear and tear and the carts down. And uh, and it's been hugely successful, and it just keeps it seems to grow every year. Um, last year we decided to finally make it in the evening and put it under the lights. So we, we have a race start at five 30 and we go to nine 30 and, uh, everybody loved that format last year. And, uh, you know, and obviously we had a lot of interesting, uh, obstacles, uh, dealing in the COVID environment last year. Um, but we got through it and, and Autobahn really worked with me, you know, the guys, Alan and, and, and Craig to make it work. And, uh, so everybody had a great time and, and, uh, so it's been, 
it's been fun and exciting. Um, you know, certainly welcome anybody to come out and, and spectate um, or go, you know, if they want to support us, certainly all the teams that are competing, there's, there's, we have three teams of uh, three different teams, even within our dealership environment here at Ferrari. But then I know there's a few teams that are, have uh, Audubon member ties. And uh, um, if uh, people go to the website uh, and want to support their own, you know, their favorite team with, uh, um, you know, a small donation of any kind would be helpful. We're trying to get to a goal of 135. Uh, I'm logging on the website right now. We're at $96,800 right now. Um, just and amazing. we've got a little over a week to go. So we've, you know, it just takes, uh, you know, it takes a little, you know, $100 here and there and when we'll get there. <laughs> and and, and uh, all the money goes to homeless for uh, DuPage County. It's their, their... Yeah, it goes to, so DuPage uh, pads is, you know, they're kind of thought of as you know, overnight shelters, uh, but there's so much more than that. And particularly in COVID here, when they had to shut down the shelters, really it's about um, giving people um, a path to uh, sustaining themselves. Uh, so it's about um, giving them um, career training, uh, also making sure that they're taking full advantage of benefits that are out there, Keep, keeping them really um, out of the, um, so they're not a burden on the state systems, you know, in the penitentiaries, in the emergency rooms, everything else like that. Um, so that there's actually an investment in this because uh, the more we can make these people self-sustaining, um, they're not, it's not a, homeless people are generally not, it's not a, a label for them. It's just a point in their life because something happened. And, uh, and if we can get them, uh, give them, you know, the lift up, um, and, and they want to be self-sustaining. Um, and they, we, uh, we meaning DuPage pads owns a, a number of, uh, permanent supportive housing units, uh, in the County. So I believe that the numbers are around a hundred now where wow. they're actually, you know, basically, um, using HUD funds and uh, also, um, you know, these people that have employment and have, you know, are striving to better themselves, they've been able to qualify for this permanent supportive housing. Um, so it's just a, a fabulous organization. They, my time on the board there was very rewarding and, and have just a rock star, you know, board that uh, and, and management that makes this thing tick. And uh, they've done a really, really good job. Yeah, my my son looks forward to it. We did the uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, shout out to Dark Mode if anybody needs a, a good sponsor yeah. there. <laughs> Dark Mode uh, with a bunch yeah, of yeah. We'll be competing against Dark Mode as we <laughs> usually do. Those those little kids are fast. Uh, yeah, so they uh, he loves it. We missed it last year. He had a had a um, travel race last year. I think it was last year. He had a travel race and it killed him to miss it. So uh, we actually scheduled everything we do around we make sure that that was on as soon as we got it on the on the schedule now my daughter is 14 and uh uh she's interested she's about ready to start so uh I, i'm are there any all are there any all female uh karting teams this year do you know there are not there's been discussion uh but uh one has never been formed so maybe that's a good goal for 2022 is to get an all-female team um and that would be wonderful. We'd love to love to do that. Not that I like um, to, to, you know, we compete. Uh, racing is one of the 
coolest things you compete there's men compete against women and there's no separation and uh uh she i do like the champion uh <clears throat> you know she was the first carter in a timed race to get on the first female carter to get on the podium uh this last weekend she uh got third in oh. the, in her junior race and uh, she was the first one Congrats. and she's, she is just killing it out there she hundreds of laps on a weekend and uh she's really focused this, this year which is which that's is great. great that's great well, and that's the wonderful thing about Audubon is, you know, it's it's a, it's about seat time. And when you can go down there as, you know, member, member's child, whatever, and just, you know, just hone your skills. I mean, it's all it's all about uh, seat time. And uh, that, that's awesome. I had a, you know, we think about it as being a, a male sport or a father-son sport. And uh, I, I, I told Craig uh, Cunningham, the general manager this weekend, that, my daughter, my 14-year-old daughter, my relationship is the strongest it's ever been. And I don't think that Mark Basso or, 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 or Joel Yu as a founder, I don't, I don't know if that was something he thought in a, in a field in 2004, that this is going to be a, such a great father-daughter potential, what a great vehicle for a father and daughter to connect. And we have um, just this incredible strong relationship right now, all revolved around racing and I hope to get her in the Miata uh, this weekend for the first time on the on the big track that's what we're that's what our goal is but it it's just oh, been fantastic for uh, a, a father and a daughter to to be able to do this in, in that environment and uh, uh it's just been great and i i just can't say enough if i get i almost get choked up thinking about how how great we get <laughs> along when we're out there and uh, and how awesome it is well i i i you know uh sympathize with that you know list this uh may race up at elkhart lake um, was the first race really where my son Kellen and I were on the, you know, at the same event competing. Uh, we we got him that Datsun 510, and I was you know reflecting back, I was about 23 when uh, Dad and I first went to you know Gateway <laughs> uh, back in then. So for us, um, you know, unfortunately, you know, my dad couldn't be around to witness it because it would he would have really would have brought a tear to his eye, I think. And uh, uh, it was really cool though to be there with him. Uh, with Kellen and competing and he, he did a really nice job and uh looking forward to having him you know at all the vintage events with me going forward we're gonna have some fun yeah that's that's one thing I haven't this will be this year with uh I'll get on the track with my with my we, we did the race school together which was awesome and uh but I haven't raced raced with him but that that's gonna come as soon as we can keep both of my both of our Miatas run at the same time one if I get both out of the shop together at the same time, it'll be great. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know how that goes. Uh, well, Joel, thanks so much. Um, I know that uh, the so the, the producer of the Audubon Mark and or the Audubon podcast Mark and some of the guys at Audubon they they wanted to to hear your story, your family story, your your dad's story, and um, um, thanks so much for being uh, taking time out today to uh, to join us, and uh, I look forward to seeing you on the 12th for sure under the lights yeah sounds good it's going to be a great event and uh, appreciate uh, appreciate your support and your interest and uh, uh just a quick shout out to the, the weirs as well you know tony and tammy and, and christian tammy's on the board of uh, dupage pads so uh, she's assisting as well and uh helping you know make this event tick now so um, appreciate their enthusiasm for it and uh yeah we hope so to have them great. on the on the on the podcast soon we spend a lot of time with the with with the weirs and uh they are they are dear to us and uh 
I will. Uh, well, thanks so much, uh, Joel, for uh, um, for joining us today, and uh, uh, have a great day. Sure thing, John. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Autobahn Country Club Podcast, where your host, club member John Graybill, opens the doors to America's premier auto sports club. Join us next time for Autobahn Country Club Podcast.